Hello and welcome to Haunted Hometowns, your weekly true crime paranormal podcast with me, Blake Lambert Hack. This season I am covering cases from Edinburgh, Scotland, and tonight I have one of the more infamous cases, the 1828 murders by duo serial killers Burke and Hare, also known as the Westport Murders. So I have a lot of information to get through in this episode, so I'm going to go quickly. But we're taking it back. It's October 31st, 1828. Halloween. When an older woman named Margaret traveled from Ireland to Scotland in search of her son. The morning of the 31st, Margaret wandered into a grocer's shop called Rymer's which sat close to Tanner's Close in Edinburgh. If you think back to the first episode, Mary King's Close, just similar to an alleyway, but people lived down them, and they often led to a courtyard where people lived off of, but this was Tanner's Close. While she was asking for food, she ran into a man named William Burke, who made a Rymer's trip every morning. Which, I don't go to a grocery store every morning, but I do go to my coffee shop every morning. So, he was probably getting coffee, breakfast, whatever. But, every morning, William Burke, Margaret, ran into each other randomly at this grocery shop. They got to talking, and Margaret explained that she had traveled a long way, alone, to look for her son, and just arrived in Edinburgh from Glasgow. William was thrilled hearing that Margaret's surname was Dockery, and that William's mother came from the same small town in Ireland. Funny how small things are in this world. He invited her back to his house, where he lived with his wife, to have a drink, to offer her a place to stay while she was searching for her son. So William welcomed Margaret in, where she met his wife, Helen McDougall, and a couple that were lodging with William and Helen. The couple's name were James and Anne Gray, and they had their infant. They all chatted, prepared for Halloween, when later afternoon, when late afternoon rolled around, William asked James and Anne if it was alright that Margaret stayed in this house, since she came from the same town as his mother and she traveled a long way, and that James and Anne could stay at his best friend's house, William Hare. Yes, both Burke and Hare have the same name, William. 
So I will be referring to them by their last names. And you'll see a lot of common names pop up. So just prepare yourself. James and Anne reluctantly moved their clothings, belongings to Hare's house while Burke's wife, Helen, brought liquor and food for dinner with Margaret. I'd be kind of annoyed too if I like spent money for lodging at this place and I have an infant and all of a sudden the lodger's like, actually, can you like walk your ass down to this other lodger's place and stay there because... I want to talk with this older woman. Like, come on. Also, Margaret in that instance should have been like, no, it's fine. I'll stay at Harris. By 9 p.m., Halloween activities were getting started. And Margaret, Helen, Burke, Hare, and Hare's wife, Margaret. Yes, two Margarets for now. The five of them partied, celebrated, drank a lot. And a bit past 11 p.m., the old woman, Margaret, was passed out on the floor from drinking too much. Good for her. I mean, I wouldn't trust getting that drunk around people I don't know, but I'm sure the travel was long and difficult, and she's stressed about not being able to find her son. So I get it. Party hard, girl. However, this was Burke and Hare's chance. Burke kneeled on her chest and covered, while Hare covered her nose and mouth, ultimately killing Margaret Doherty. An argument broke out in the Burke house, and that was common occurrence, I would say. A neighbor made note of the argument at 11.30 p.m. He left his house, and when he returned it was all quiet. Everything was good. Again, common occurrence. He didn't really think twice about it. Burke and Hare, while the neighbor was out and about, stripped Margaret's body of her clothes and hid her under a pile of straw at the foot of one of the beds. Why there was a pile of straw inside the house is beyond me. It is the 1800s. They do have livestock, I guess, but I don't why there's a pile of straw in a bedroom, I don't know. Hare hid Margaret's clothes under the bed while Burke rushed to visit David Peterson. David was the assistant of a doctor in town known as Dr. Knox. Burke told David that he, quote, procured something for the doctor, unquote. By the time Burke had talked to David and Dr. Knox, and made his way back home, the sun had come up. James and Anne, who were staying at Hare's place, made their way back to Burke's house for breakfast. But when they arrived, they were surprised to learn that Helen had, Helen being Burke's wife, had tossed the older woman, Margaret, out of the house. Burke told the couple that they could stay for breakfast, but to not go into the bedroom which is suspicious if we've learned anything when you tell someone not to do something they just want to do it more so don't enter the bedroom that you were staying in previously and be like well why not we were just in there suspicious 
I'm assuming he told them not to go in there because he still had to, like, clean up from when Margaret spent the night. But uh, I would be checking it out just as you'll see Anne and James did. Hare and his wife made their way back to their own house and Burke had to go out again. So while he was gone, Anne was suspicious, a little nosy, basically because of the way Burke was acting. And she chose to take a look in the bedroom, even though he told her not to. As she looked around, she felt something in the straw. She reached in and saw the lifeless arm of naked old woman, Margaret. I believe she like walked past the hay and her foot hit something in the hay, which caused her to reach in. But Anne immediately told her husband, James, that they needed to go to the police. Helen tried to stop them by bribing them with 10 pounds a week for their silence, but they refused and sought out a police officer. I'm going to backtrack for a second, but just think about having to travel to another country to find your son because there weren't phones or any technology. This woman probably didn't have a letter from her son or thought something horrible happened. And she's been knocking on doors to see if anyone had seen him. She probably, this is all my theory, but she probably knew that he was in Glasgow. And so she made her way there. And maybe she met someone that said, hey, he actually went to Edinburgh. Again, the cities aren't far apart from each other. So she makes her way to Edinburgh and by chance runs into a serial killer. It's horrible circumstances. Horrible timing. And even Anne and James couldn't phone the police. And there weren't police stations. Like they literally just had to go out and search the streets for a police officer. Lawless times in Edinburgh. So the question remains, who are Burke and Hare? Who are Burke and Hare? And why are they Edinburgh's most infamous murderers? Little is known about William Burke and William Hare before their killing spree. It is the 1800s and they were both from Ireland. So immigrants weren't really tracked back then. Historians believe Burke and Hare worked on a canal for some time, but they never crossed paths. Then Burke went on to work as a cobbler, fixing shoes and other odd jobs. And Hare bopped around doing seasonal farm labor and other odd jobs as well. But again, we don't really know for sure. We also aren't quite sure when they were born. Burke, during his trial, said he was 36 years old, but we don't have the same records for Hare. And the two men actually met by chance in Edinburgh. Hare owned a house off Tanner's Close, and Hare's wife bumped into Burke and his wife on the street. And they just got to talking, and she told them that they had an empty room. And that's how the four casually hit it off, I guess. Though there are some claims that the two wives, Margaret and Helen, did not get along at all. 
So before Burke moved to Edinburgh, he was already married in Ireland. However, when he told his wife that he was going to be working on this canal, she said she wasn't leaving Ireland, and that was that. He went to work, she stayed in Ireland, and they never saw each other again. And honestly, she dodged a bullet. Her name was Margaret Coleman. Yes, another fucking Margaret. That makes three Margarets. If you're uh, playing a drinking game with this, uh, take a shot anytime I say Margaret or William. And maybe I'll add on to that as we go. So while working on the Union Canal, Burke met Helen McDougall. Not much is known about her previous life, but she is thought to have been with another man when she met Burke and just up and left her previous life. Some believe she was a sex worker and made her money from the men working on the canal. But when she met Burke, that ended. And Burke, Helen, and Helen's two children moved to Edinburgh. Hare's wife, Margaret Laird, also worked on the Union Canal. But because only men could do such a dangerous job, she would dress in men's clothing, quote-unquote. I'm assuming Margaret met Hare on the canal because Hare ended up lodging at Margaret and her husband's house on Tanner's Close. But when Margaret's husband passed away, Hare moved in, and Margaret and Hare became a thing, and Hare took over the house. That's how he acquired the building, not because he made so much money working on a canal or on farms. He, I don't want to call him a gold digger because her husband hadn't died yet, but kind of, kind of. They had enough money to own a, a house, so I just love the fact that Helen, not Helen, I just love the fact that Margaret dressed in traditionally men's clothing to work on a canal because why not? She's not afraid to get her hands dirty. I also use wives loosely here. Remember, Burke is still married to Irish Margaret and Canal Margaret, who people called Lucky, was a widow. So Helen and Lucky weren't thought to be common law marriages. So Helen and Lucky were thought to be common law marriages, meaning they were legally thought as a married couple, but they never had a license or ceremony. Burke had two children with with his first wife and abandoned them and then became a stepdad for Helen's two kids. Lucky had two children, but no one is quite sure if they were Hare's two kids or her first husband's since they were born in that period where it could have been husband number one right before he died or Hare's baby right after they got together. Either way, we know nothing of what happened to these six children. So Burke and Hare today are notorious for body snatching, but in fact, they never were body snatchers. 
So body snatching or sack em up men was the business of digging up fresh corpses and donating them to medical universities for dis- dissection. Before the 19th century, society didn't really find medicine legitimate, but the medical community wanted to change that. Their plan was to study human anatomy through dissection. The challenging part was to find corpses to do the dissections, and at the beginning, the law only allowed executed criminals to be dissected. If you were charged with murder, rape, arson, or burglary, you would be publicly hanged, then given to the universities in the UK for classes. And again, those are the only people that you could legally dissect were executed criminals. By the 1800s, the need for corpses raised to 500 a year, but only around 55 people were being hanged each year. There simply weren't enough corpses for education and medical research, thus the creation of the body snatcher. There are many infamous body snatchers through England and Scotland, the London Burkers, Bethnal Green Gang, Andrew Morelli's, Michael Armstrong, William Clark, John Wilson, and the list goes on and on. It was a profitable, profitable, I don't want to call it a business, but like profitable side hustle. <laughs> it's illegal, so I don't know, but they made money, good, good money on it. Because doctors and professors were so desperate to get their hands on a corpse. Now, I never took anatomy class. We had one in high school. My friends took it. But growing up, I've dissected owl pellets. I've dissected flowers. I've dissected a jellyfish. I've dissected frogs. Uh... If you took the anatomy class, they dissected cats and baby pigs. I'm trying to think of anything else. I didn't dissect a snake, but I watched someone dissect a snake. Doesn't really interest me at all. I don't really need to see a body dissected either. Not that it grosses me out. I just, not my thing. So with body snatching... The trick was to dig up a newly deceased person because doctors wouldn't accept bodies that were too far decomposed. It still was an incredibly difficult task. You had to go at night, dig at least six feet without being seen or heard, lift a dead body out of a hole, throw the corpse in a sack or trunk, and deliver it to a doctor in a relatively good condition. If you are delayed in the delivery, the body begins to ooze and the sack gets wet or the trunk leaks and you may be found out. And that did happen several times, quite often. Add on the fact that once churches knew what was going on, they would make it even more difficult by building cages over top new graves, fitting a corpse with a metal collar that was built into the coffin. So after all the digging, you'd open the coffin and find that you either have to remove the head of the corpse or walk away. There was a gang notorious for digging up older bodies and cutting off, quote, 
good limbs to give to doctors. I don't remember the name of that gang, but there was even some churches that was that would use trip wires attached to a gun. <laughs> Which is intense. And let's say you get past all of that, then you have to travel by night and hope that you're not stopped by the police or that the doctor would even take your suspiciously naked body in a sack. And I do want to be clear, the UK was not the only place where body snatching was an issue. The US had plenty of it as well. Australia, Canada, China, India, the Netherlands, and so on. And not all for the same reason. Like, I don't believe in China that they were robbing bodies because there was a law that prevented dissection. They had their own reason for it, but body snatching has happened all over the world. Burke and Hare are thought of as the most infamous body snatchers, but they didn't do any of that. They didn't dig up bodies in a grave and deliver them to doctors to be sold for dissection. Burke and Hare got into trading corpses for money when one of their lodgers, known as Old Donald, uh, died of natural causes, and he still owed Hare four pounds for lodging in Hare's house. So to recoup Hare's losses, they sold his body to Dr. Knox. The original plan was to sell Old Donald to the professor of anatomy at Edinburgh University, Professor Monroe. However, when they were walking through the campus, they asked the student where they could find his office, and the student, knowing that they had a body to sell, pointed them to the direction of Dr. Robert Knox, who ran his own private anatomy school. This being Burke and Hare's first time selling a body, they just brought Old Donald to his school, which was a huge mistake. At the time, dead bodies didn't belong to anyone. They weren't anyone's property, which is partly why so many people got away with body snatching. If you're caught with a body, there wasn't much police could do since it wasn't considered theft. However, if they still had clothing on, you were in possession of stolen property. So most of the body snatchers would be charged with other crimes, like vagrancy, meaning homelessness without a job, or disrupting a grave, or stolen property, meaning the clothing or jewelry or whatever that the person was buried with. Though during the trial, the sentencing was usually pretty light. A couple months in prison, a fine or two, maybe some hard labor or a whipping. The worst was excommunication. And that could mean a different country or even just another city. It all depended on who your judge was and how many times you were caught. There were certain judges that believed in the advancement of medicine, so they would give out lighter sentences so that they could continue body snatching. And then things like excommunication, whipping, uh, hard labor... That was for people who had been caught several times. 
Dr. Robert Knox still took old Donald from Birkenhair and gave them seven pounds and 10 shillings. And I had to look this up. So for us Americans and anyone listening that doesn't know what a pound or shilling equates to, 10 shillings is half a pound. So Birkenhair were given 7.5 pounds, which today, today 7.5 pounds means $9. Hare took a larger cut because he had to make up the monthly money Donald wasn't going to make for his lodging. Now, there is some controversy as to who Burke and Hare murdered first. In Burke's official statement in 1829, he claimed Abigail Simpson was their first victim. However, historians believe she may be the second or third victim. The order of their victims will always be under debate. So I'm just going to go by Burke's official statement. I think the reason why people don't necessarily follow Burke's official statement word for word is because there was different rates, specifically for Dr. Knox. He gave money depending on the season of the corpse, I guess is how you say it. So there was a winter season and a summer season. Winter season... October through May or June, maybe. Uh, because it's colder out, bodies last longer, they're in better condition for dissecting. He would pay Birkenhair 10 pounds, usually. Summer months, decomposing happens faster. It smells more. It's a whole other thing. So they would be paid 8 pounds generally speaking. So I think the list that historians have created later is based on Dr. Knox written because he kept track of everything. So Dr. Knox wrote down what he paid, when he paid it, etc. and how much. And so I think the the discrepancy is Burke says this is the order of events, but he's not paid according to the season that Dr. Knox would have paid. So it's a it's a little confusing, but I'm just going to go by Burke's official statement. He was there for every murder. This is also the 1800s, and so it was fresher in his mind when he made the statement. So it may be right, it may be wrong, doesn't really matter. They all died, unfortunately. But let's take an incredibly short break before I dive into these victims. On February 11th, 1828, Abigail made her way to Edinburgh from her hometown, Gilmerton, to make some more money. She found herself wandering down Tanner's Close and running into Hare. Hare and Abigail got to drinking, and she got so drunk, 
Hare let her spend the night in his house. The following morning, Abigail woke, but Burke and Hare supplied her more alcohol. Now, if she was anything like me, she would not have wanted to drink after being blackout the night before. Don't get me wrong. I'm a huge fan of mimosas and a mezcal Bloody Mary for brunch. But being drunk as fuck the night before and then waking up and drinking more, I have to believe that they forced her to drink. I feel so gross. I've never been blackout, but I feel so gross after being drunk. It was during this time when they murdered her the following morning when she was forced to continue to drink. Eventually, the way the duo murdered people was known as burking, but essentially one would hold the person down while the other would smother them, usually with their bare hands. So it was hand. So I think most of the time, hair held the person down and then burke one hand over the mouth, the other pinching the nose. I say that, but it isn't very clear on who did the asphyxiation smothering situation and the other holding down, I think they switched off. But after they murdered Abigail, they stripped her down nude and placed her body in a tea chest to make sure no one knew what they were up to. The trip to sell her body was 10 to 15 minutes away through a busy area of Edinburgh. Burke and Hare delivered the corpse to Dr. Knox who was thrilled with the freshness and gave the duo 10 pounds. I hate that he describes the body as fresh. And it does remind me of that horror movie, Fresh, where he, Sebastian Stan is the actor who kidnaps women and then cuts parts of their body parts off to sell to people who want to eat human flesh but that's what freshness that's what it reminds me of gross also i'm not going into crazy detail i have too much to like get through but generally speaking most of these victims were just shoved alcohol down their throats so they were incapacitated or couldn't fight back etc joseph was the second victim, according to Burke. He was lodging in Hare's house, but he was incredibly ill. And to Hare, he was just taking up space that someone else could be renting out. So Burke and Hare held his sickly body down and suffocated him. So like I said, most of these people were force-fed alcohol, but someone like Joseph was just incredibly sick, and they took advantage of that. They tossed him in the tea chest and received 10 pounds from Dr. Knox. And when I say tea chest, I don't mean what we think of tea chest today, like a little box that has tea bags. I'm talking about like a huge trunk, pretty much. So though Burke and Hare were committing these murders together, they both had very different experiences. Hare was known to be emotionless and didn't seem to be bothered by the murders, which screams sociopath. However, Burke 
struggled with the murders. The only way he could go through with murdering these people was if he was drunk. And the only way he could fall asleep at night was if he was drunk. He would wake up in the middle of the night terrified whether he had dreams or nightmares or what, but he would wake up in the middle of the night and would drink more to pass out again. On Friday night in April, he woke very upset and didn't have his fellow whiskey bottle, so he made his way to a nearby pub. While there, two women entered the pub, Mary Peterson and Janet Brown. Sorry, Mary Patterson and Janet Brown. Both were arrested, either for being drunk and disorderly, or they may have been sex workers, but they were released late this night in April. Instead of going back to where they were lodging, they headed to the pub where they met Burke. They talked for a bit, and eventually Burke convinced them to come back to his brother's house for breakfast. That's how early it was. That's how late they stood out. They agreed, and after Burke's brother went off to work, they began to drink again. Mary drank quite a bit more than Janet, and she fell asleep on the table. And while Janet and Burke were talking, Helen arrived, screaming at Burke about being with these two beautiful women. Burke threw Helen out while his sister-in-law went to get hair to stop the fighting. So there's a huge commotion, right? We have two beautiful women sitting, drinking, having a good time. Burke's wife comes in, bitching at him because he's with these two women and out late and she can't find him. And Burke's brother is at work. Burke's sister-in-law is going to find hair to stop the arguing. It's just pandemonium. And it would make a great comedic sketch. Mary is still asleep through all of this. She's passed out drunk. Janet just wants to get the fuck out and go home. So Burke lets Janet leave just before Hare arrives. The two men kill Mary and place her in one of the beds with the sheet over her. Janet made her way back to where she was lodging and told the woman who owned the building her story. The landlady sent her servant with Janet to get Mary back, but when they arrived, it was just Helen and Margaret sitting at the table. Margaret being Hare's wife. Lucky. The three got to talking, and they told Janet that Mary was on a walk with Burke. Janet sobered up a bit and walked around town looking for them, but couldn't find them anywhere. She wanted to call the police, but her and Mary had a horrible relationship with them, and she just got out of jail. So she didn't know what to do. She didn't think she'd be believed. And within four hours of murdering Mary, Burke and Hare delivered her body to Dr. Knox, who gave them eight to ten pounds, depending on who you ask. The next victim doesn't have a name but just referred to as the old woman. She was killed the same way, liquor thrown in her, drowning in liquor, held her down, suffocated her, sold her to Dr. Knox, 
they made 10 more pounds. Next was the 40-year-old Englishman. He was lodging with Hare, but Burke never got his name, so we have no idea. We I'm going to call him the Englishman because that's what everybody else calls him. He had jaundice and was traveling as a tinker. Hare, afraid of having another sickly tenant, murdered the Englishman with Burke. They stripped him naked, put him in the tea chest, and took him to Dr. Knox and made another 10 pounds. And I know 10 pounds seems like very little, but this is the early 1800s, and the average income was less than 30 pounds annually. Average income was 30 pounds annually, less than 30 pounds. And Burke and Hare are making 10 pounds per body. So they made 30 pounds in a few months. That's how lucrative body snatching is. Now, Burke and Hare are a little worse because they're actually murdering these people instead of body snatching. Maybe they thought it was easier. I'm, it probably was easier, but horrible. The next victim was Mary Haldane. She had a night of drinking, and she stumbled down Tanner's Close trying to find where she was lodging. She was staying in a building in Tanner's Close, but she was so drunk she couldn't figure out which building it was. She was so drunk she fell into a pile of hay and fell asleep. Hare, the following morning, found her sleep in the hay and took advantage. This time, they didn't have to get her drunk. She was already drunk, and so they killed her. However, this specific murder was not recorded by Dr. Knox, so we don't know how much Burke and Hare made but probably similar to every other victim, so somewhere between 8 and 10 pounds. Effie was our next victim. Effie probably knew Burke since he was in the cobbler shoe game, and she sold leather. She was lured into Tanner's Close by Lucky, where the men killed her and made 10 pounds. And it was, and before now, it was always thought that the wives knew what Burke and Hare were doing, but never actively participated. But now they're providing the victims. Lucky and Helen are like, hey, come back to our place, knowing very well what was going to happen. In June, Burke found a woman and her grandson wandering Edinburgh. They had walked from Glasgow, sleeping on the side of the road on their journey, and they needed a place to stay. Burke led them back to Hare's house. Helen and Lucky took the grandson to a separate room while his grandmother went to sleep for the night. While asleep, Burke and Hare murdered her, stripped her naked, and covered her with a bedsheet. The 12-year-old grandson may have been deaf, which could explain why he didn't hear anything, the commotion or the murdering or anything. However, after a while, he became anxious, not having his grandmother around. The women tried to calm him down, saying that she was ill 
and just need to lie down. Burke and Hare discussed whether or not to kill the 12-year-old. Burke didn't think it would be wise to bring a boy to the doctor, but Hare didn't think it was wise to let him go. So ultimately, they killed him by breaking his back and putting him and his grandmother in a herring barrel to take to the doctor. They didn't use the tea chest this time because it was too small for two bodies. And a herring barrel is just a standard wooden barrel, what you think of a barrel, but this one they used for the fish herring. The breaking of the 12-year-old's back is really horrible. I could not imagine dying that way. It was so horrible that the death of the young boy really fucked Burke up. He was already having a hard time murdering people, and then this really changed him. And again, he has four children. I'm sure by this point, his original two kids are probably getting, you know, up to 12 years old. This spurred Burke to begin drinking even more, and then he needed a candle lit next to his bed every night. Horrible. Dr. Knox gave Burke and Hare 16 pounds for both bodies. The next victim is sadly just referred to as the drunk woman. She was in the process of being arrested, but Hare had a great relationship with the police. Surprise, surprise as did Burke, since his brother worked for the police department. Corruption. Hare said he would take her off their hands, and the police readily agreed. What the fuck is that? What the fuck? The police are so lazy that this random man, who does not work for the police department, who has no need or excuse for wanting to take this person off, the hands of the police and the police are just gonna readily agree to that it's ridiculous and because of that the woman was never seen or heard from again so this really makes me question if the police knew what was going on again having a dead body dead naked body wasn't a crime even if the person wasn't family it's still not a crime to have possession of a naked dead body But it would not surprise me if the police turned a blind eye because so far all of these people were either immigrants, people who had already been arrested, or they were sick. Burke and Hare were taking advantage of the disenfranchised and the police didn't give a shit, their wives didn't give a shit, no one seemed to care. Burke, clearly suffering from all the murder, and this does not mean that I feel bad for Burke. I mean, you are murdering people, and so you should feel like shit for murdering people. But because of that, he decided to take a trip with Helen to visit his in-laws. And during this time, Hare took it upon himself to murder one of his lodgers by himself, making eight pounds from Dr. Knox and keeping the eight pounds for himself. Mary Haldane, the woman who was murdered after passing out in the hay, had two or three daughters. And one of her daughters, Margaret, another Margaret, take a drink, Margaret 
Dane came looking for her mother. She, too, was charmed by Birkenhair, and just like the victims before her, she was piled, she was plied with alcohol, and she was murdered and given to Dr. Knox for eight pounds. And again, we're in the summer months now, eight pounds. It's warmer weather. Bodies weren't in great condition for dissection, but also these bodies were being used for education and schooling. But in the summer, school isn't in session. So the need for bodies over the summer wasn't as great as, say, fall, winter, and spring. So, Burke and Hare took a few months off from murdering until September when they got Mrs. Ostler drunk and suffocated her. And they made another eight pounds from Dr. Knox. Anne McDougall would be Burke and Hare's next victim. And if that surname sounds familiar, it's because it's Helen's last name. Anne was a relative of Burke's wife. When she came to visit Edinburgh, she stayed with a cousin of Burke's and her husband, John. The murder happened at the Brogan's house, not at Hare's. Brogan being Burke's cousin and her husband, John Brogan. They murdered... Anne at their house, Burke and Hare put Anne in a trunk, but before they could deliver her body, John Brogan saw the trunk and who was inside, so Burke and Hare had to bribe John with money and whiskey to keep quiet. Corruption. More, more, more corruption. John Brogan kept his mouth shut, they bribed him, they took Anne's body to Dr. Knox, and they made 10 pounds. As every serial killer eventually does, Burke and Hare were getting reckless. They saw money in everyone and killed someone they knew and in a location that they didn't. Reckless. They had been getting away with murder for months, and so there was a false sense of comfort. And it was getting to them. Like, not to give murderers tips or whatever, but I think they say, like, you're more likely to find... Like, serial killers are more likely to murder in a geographical location because it's comforting to them. They know where they're at. They know how to evade police because they're familiar with the area. So for Burke and Hare to murder someone in a house that they're not familiar with, it's risky. And to murder someone that you know and know well is also risky. And the recklessness continues. The risky behavior continues with James Wilson, known as Daft Jamie. He was an 18-year-old boy who was living on the streets of Edinburgh, he was well known in the city and was known to walk around barefoot, showing off his misshapen foot. He was an easy target for Margaret since she knew 
he was always looking for a place to stay. Burke and Hare invited Jamie in. They offered him whiskey. He took a swig, but wasn't a fan of the taste. So Jamie completely dismantled their tried and true tactics in an instance. They were so used to getting these people drunk to take advantage of them, and Jamie was like, eh, not for me. So not knowing what to do, Hare just jumped onto Jamie and began to suffocate him out of nowhere. They wrestled and were thrown to the ground. Burke came to his partner's help and held Jamie down, Hare ultimately killing Jamie. They made 10 pounds for Jamie's body, But when he was presented, when Jamie's body was presented to the class by Dr. Knox, some of the students knew who he was. So to stop from people asking questions, Jamie's head and feet were removed before dissection. So more people wouldn't recognize him. And that gets us back to the beginning where I mentioned the murder of Mary Doherty. Overall, the duo made around 110 pounds for 16 victims. That's more than double what the average person was making annually in the the 1800s in Edinburgh. And they did all that within a year, less than a year. But before I get into the arrest of the duo, let's take another quick break. So Mary Dilkerty was murdered and hidden under straw. James and Anne Gray saw the body and went to get the police. Meanwhile, meanwhile, Burke wrapped Mary's body up in a box and delivered it to Knox. When the Grays returned to Hare's house, they were accompanied by Sergeant John Fisher. They searched the house, but the body was gone. Of course, Burke and Helen tried to talk their way out of the mess, but the sergeant was too suspicious. And I'm not quite sure how he knew Dr. Knox was the one receiving the corpses, but the sergeant searched Dr. Knox's school and found Mary folded into the box. Burke and Hare had finally been caught. Because Mary was killed in Burke and Helen's home, they were arrested for her murder. They immediately turned on their counterparts, claiming they had nothing to do with the murder and that it was all Hare's fault. So the police arrested Hare and Margaret in Tanner's close, all being arrested on November 2nd, 1828. Their last last murder was on Halloween, and their trial was on Christmas Eve. Hare turned King's evidence and testified against Burke. 
Burke was found guilty and sentenced to hang while Hare was released and disappeared forever. It's maddening. On January 28, 1829, Burke was hanged in front of a crowd of 25,000 people. 25,000 people watched Burke hang to death. Michael Jackson's funeral only had 17 to 18,000 people. Queen Elizabeth II only had 2,000 people attend her funeral. 25,000 people watched Burke hang, and they were pissed Hare was let go. Pissed Hare was free to roam the world. Dr. Knox was never tried because, again, it's not a crime to have a nude body, and there was no proof he knew his cadavers were murdered. He continued to teach in Edinburgh, even though his reputation was severely tarnished. When his wife died 13 years later, he moved to London, found a new job, and died in 1862. Burke's wife, Helen, was given a verdict of not proven, and for her safety, she was sent out of Edinburgh. She quickly came back to visit Burke in jail, but she was denied and forced to leave Edinburgh. And like Hare, there is no trace of her after that. Hare's wife, Margaret, also took the stand at the trial. She claimed to know nothing and was holding her baby, who had a whooping cough at the time. So she's holding this coughing baby on the stand. So every time the baby would cough, she would pause and let the baby finish before answering the prosecution. Which, again, I think is a great comedic sketch. A coughing baby on the stand. She was released and went home. But she was instantly recognized and neighbors began throwing mud and rocks at her. The police came and got her and sent her to Glasgow. But once again, she was recognized in Glasgow. That's how many people knew about this case. That's how many, like, they were infamous, notorious. And because she was recognized in Glasgow as well, she boarded a ship and was never heard from again. Not that I feel bad for Burke, but it's kind of sad that, to think that out of all five of these people who had a hand in these murders, either directly or indirectly, Burke seemed to be the only one with regret for his actions. Hare didn't seem to care. Helen had her own relative killed. Margaret turned a blind eye because she made one pound every time someone was murdered. A savvy businesswoman. Burke had to drink himself into a stupor just to make it through. Again, don't feel bad for him. Just think it's interesting that he's the only one that was punished for the crimes. And the only one who felt bad for what he did. After he was hanged, Burke was publicly dissected by University of Edinburgh anatomy professor Monroe. After that, his body was donated to the Anatomical Museum, where Burke's skeleton hangs today. However, that is not the only part of Burke hanging around in a museum. A part of his brain is in a jar in the London Science Museum. 
His skin was tanned and turned into a pocketbook that resides at Surgeon's Hall Museum in Edinburgh. His skin was also used to make a calling card case and sits in the Katie's and Witchery tour shop. It's fucking wild. I do not need pieces of a human anywhere near me. Thank you. Thank you. That's weird. Why are we turning people's skin into accessories? It's weird. Burke and Hare inspired a gang in London called the London Burkers or the Bethel Green Gang to murder people to sell to anatomists. They confessed to selling anywhere from 500 to 1,000 bodies and murdering around 60 of those. I don't know how accurate those numbers are since the gang was only like three men, but they were tried in 1831. Burke and Hare, as well as the London Burkers, convinced the government to amend the law that stated only executed bodies could be dissected. The Anatomy Act of 1832 stated that anybody, anybody, anybody could be donated to science. And there's a lot more to that bill, but that's the most important part for this story. Anybody could be donated to be dissected, donate your body to science, donate a relative's body to science. They could have died from illness. They could have been hit by a, like a, I almost said a car. I mean, maybe a car. Whatever the case may be, you didn't have to be a convicted murderer or whatever to be dissected. And just a little fun fact, Charles Darwin attended University of Edinburgh from 1825 to 1827 and took anatomy. However, he dropped out because he thought his professor, Professor Monroe, was boring, which I love. There's a 2010 Simon Pegg black comedy about Birkin Hare. The band The Scaffold has an upbeat song about the duo called Birkin Hare. If you'd like a more in-depth look at Birkin Hare and their crimes, the podcast Tenfold More Wicked by Kate Winkler Dawson has a great six-part series to check out. I'm a huge fan of hers and her shows. Birkin Hare expert Owen Dudley Edwards has a book called Birkin Hare. So there's a lot about them. Check them out. I'm still annoyed that I can't give you a more definitive answer about what happened to Hare, Margaret, Helen. But they straight up left Edinburgh and disappeared. I don't know if Hare continued to murder people and make more money that way. But I don't know if Margaret and Hare stayed together. Because it sounds like they parted ways and were left to go about their lives separately. I don't know what happened to Helen, if she married again, or if her kids were successful. Who knows? Who knows? It's frustrating. And I don't have any ghosts for you this episode, but the 
Anatomical Museum has 12,000 objects to check out. Surgeon's Hall Museum was helped created by Dr. Knox, who you can not only see the Skin Pocket book, but you can see Burke's death mask at the Surgeon's Hall Museum. I don't think Dr. Knox founded that museum, but he helped create what it is today. You can also check out the skin calling card case at Katie's Witchery Tour Shop, where you can also take an Edinburgh ghost tour. But yes, thank you all for joining me. I hope you enjoyed listening to the story of Westport murders, the infamous duo Burke and Hare. And I am... I don't know what the fascination with them is. Their murders weren't anything crazy. There isn't much information about who they were. I mean, maybe that is what makes it so infamous is the mystery of it all. Where's hair? There's tons of theories about where hair ended up. So you could look those up, but it's an interesting case. And there's plenty more to dive into this. So if you're curious, check out those options I told you about and check out Haunted Hometown's socials for photos related to this episode, guest info, exciting upcoming news. Send me your paranormal encounters at hauntedhometownspodcast at gmail.com. Could be anything from your basement flooding and a sea creature swimming in the basement pool to pissing off a bunch of little fairies and having them attack you and curse you. Let me know. And I'll be back in a week for another Edinburgh case. This one will have ghosts, I promise. Join me because everyone loves a ghost story. The theme song is by Tyre. Follow him on social media at Queer Popstar and his singing career anywhere you stream music. T-H-A-I-R. The artwork is by Pepe Munoz. Follow him on Instagram at p.e.p.e.munoz, M-U-N-O-Z. Got my information from Wikipedia, Historic UK, My Macabre Road Trip by Susie, and an article at Guttenberg.org by George MacGregor. <laughs>